Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Hey, do you ever get a song stuck in your head? I get songs stuck in my head all the time. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, like, my, my kids are always, like, getting new music. I'm not the music junkie that's, like, finding new stuff to listen to. Like, I know you're out there, and you ha- always have, like, some new obscure artist to share with me. And I appreciate that because oftentimes I really like new music. But I never find it. And, and when it sort of comes into my head, and I've listened to it a little bit, a lot of times a song will just get stuck. And like, it can't get out. My, my brain just wants to sort of play it over and over. And, and at one point this last month, um, I had a song stuck in my head for several days. And I don't know if you've ever looked into why that happens, but the best guess that people have is because you actually don't know the song well enough. There's something about the melody or the words or the way the song goes that your mind can't quite complete it. And so it's like playing it over and over again, trying to find that part and finish the song. Meaning you're sort of like stuck on loop because your brain is on loop. Why don't you just take for a minute, you turn to your neighbor, we've got enough neighbors here. When you say, it's stuck in my head, go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, it's stuck in my head. It's stuck in my head. Listen, I'm convinced that some of us Though we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, or perhaps some of us who are still exploring the faith here today, or perhaps you online, have Christianity stuck in our head like a broken record that just won't complete itself and then gets annoyingly fixed there and we can't be rid of it. That's somehow the way a lot of people experience the Christian faith. You know, I've noticed that this can happen to me with a lot of different kinds of music. But there's one particular kind of music that almost never happens to me. I mean, has anybody else listened to Chill Hop? Anybody, any Chill Hop fans? Okay, so Chill Hop is this sort of like instrumental hip-hop fusion of like sort of like ambient sounds and different noises. And the, the tracks, if you listen to them, they can be long, like 20, 40 minutes, two hours worth of music. And as I listen to that, like the song sort of shifts and moves but there's enough pattern to it that like, I think my brain has a way of sort of tracking with it and then keeping me in the groove of the music. It makes for some of like the most fruitful like work sessions that I have. Like there's something going on yet I can focus and my mind is sort of in the groove of what's going on. And I think that's because like, I understand the pattern enough. It's got a loop to it, but I don't yet know the way the whole song works out either. This, my friends, is crucial to the Christian life. Getting to the point where you understand the pattern and you can groove to what's going on enough, even if you don't know the way the whole of it will pan out. Today I want to introduce you to some of the music of the gospel, the call and response of it, which of course is music, especially in some church traditions. And if you look closely in our passage, the song of Jesus has a particular pattern to it, one that you need to grasp in order to live the Christian life. Here it is. You need to leave, you need to find, 
and you need to follow. That is the pattern of the Christian life. Leave, find, and follow. And that, my friends, if you begin to get that pattern and and experience the repetition of it, has a way of incredible freedom bringing about in your life. Leave, find, and follow. And of course, my sermon today has three points. We're going to talk about to leave, to find, and to follow. Ready? Okay, here we go. So the gospel calls you to leave your old life behind for Christ. The gospel calls you to leave your old life behind for Christ. It was, I think, this last year that I, um, I don't know, maybe it was two years ago, I I broke my phone, um, and I had a crack in it for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it dropped another time, because I I had a crack, and I was like, well, whatever, I'm not going to use a case anymore because it's cracked, and, you know, like, I want to be able to hold the phone as it's original in my hand, and then it fell again, and the whole thing smashed, and I used it even though it was pretty smashed for, like, months. It was this thing where, like, I got to the point where I was so used to the broken screen that I didn't actually have a lot of desire to change it. Like, it was the way it was, and it was still working, but then it got to the point where it wasn't working. Have you ever got to that point when it comes to change in your life where you're like, hey, I know this is cracked up a little bit, but it's sort of working for me, and I'm not quite ready to go and get something new to leave the old behind and then to go on and find something and sort of change. This is what happens for much of us, many of us. There's enough reason to spot the cracks in life, but not enough motivation to leave what is broken or dysfunctional behind. Just like with my phone. But here you have in the passage, people leaving everything. Leaving everything. The beginning of the gospel opens where John the Baptist is telling people, hey, you need to repent, which is the the Bible word for you need to turn. You've been going down the wrong road and you need to turn around and go to the right road. The one that honors God, the one that's the ways of God in the wisdom of God. And so what what Jesus comes on the scene is and doing is he repeats it. He says, the time is fulfilled. It's happening right now. Repent and believe in the gospel. Saying, repent, turn from your old ways, from your old life. And even then, as he approaches these fishermen, they literally turn from the path that they're walking on as fishermen into an entirely new vocation, a completely different direction for their lives. Jesus shows up to them and he says, hey, leave your life and come and be with me. The gospel always has the sound of leaving for something new. Jesus shows up to them and says, you need to leave your old life, your old life of sin, your old life of salvation on your own terms, your old life of proving yourself to be worthy, your old life of basing a selfhood on what you can create, on what you can make. Jesus comes up and says, hey, leave that and come with me. What this means as he enters and talks with people in the first century is, one, there were moral decisions people were making, patterns of sin in their lives that needed to be left behind so that they could follow him. There were thinking patterns, even ideologies at play in the first century, ways in which people thought that they could 
sort of bring God into their arm, forcing his hand to move. Some of them were political ideologies. Others were religious ideologies. Some of them were very physical and violent ideologies. And Jesus came onto that scene saying, leave those behind and follow me into my kingdom. This announcement is good news because Jesus is saying there's something better than what you have. He comes on the scene saying, repent and believe in the gospel, which is a word for good news because something better has come. You need to leave where you are because there's something that's better for you in this direction. And the same thing he says to us today. He comes announcing, saying, God, God's saying, I'm here. My kingdom's moving, even in the midst of pandemic. My kingdom's moving, even in the midst of financial difficulty. My kingdom's moving, even in the midst of polarization and political chaos. My kingdom is moving. Would you leave, and would you come follow me along with it? What announcement? What about that announcement that there is something better is appealing to you today. Because the reality is, some of you aren't ready to leave the patterns of sin that you've been walking in, but you are longing for a life that's more satisfying. Some of you aren't ready to leave that sort of dogged political stance of yours, but there is something better and more fulfilling. Some of you aren't ready to leave the brokenness and dysfunction in that relationship, but the Lord is offering you to walk into a new path. What is it that you're not willing to leave in order to receive from the Lord? Fam, if you don't leave, you won't find. If you don't leave, you won't find. To leave, find, and follow is the pattern of the Christian life. And while the gospel makes the most sense when you're already ready to leave, Jesus still comes to you today if you're not. Ready to convince you that what you'll find is worth leaving. So let's talk about what you'll find, all right? What will you find? If we read on, after James and John and Peter and Andrew follow Jesus, they begin traveling with him around Galilee, the sea, into Capernaum. And immediately it says in verse 21, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. I love that the the first thing we notice about Jesus in Mark's gospel is his power, like his command. So much of Jesus, and granted, he is gentle, he is kind, he is so gracious, but so much of what we commonly think of Jesus is very weak, and what you have here out of the gate in Mark's gospel is Jesus is strong. Jesus is commanding. Jesus is compelling. His fame spreads everywhere because of what he's done. And he taught them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Meaning he could have, apparently they think Jesus could destroy them. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. 
Now listen, I know for many of you, reading through passages like this that talk about the spiritually dark realities of the world feel incredibly distant. There is in your own experience perhaps a real hesitant posture towards anything that would speak of the demonic or even of the, the influence upon a person spiritually for negative, for ill, for evil. But if you think for a moment just about the pervasiveness of evil in our world, think about the unjust systems in our society or others. Think about the, the brokenness of poverty and need in our world. Think about the whole industries of trade that function upon the backs or upon the bodies of others. Think about the extreme and persistent darkness in our own world. And when you reckon with some of those realities, the Bible's picture of a spiritual realm where there is a real spiritual evil begins to seem not so far-fetched. And here you have, as it were, Jesus in his first encounter spreading light into the apparent darkness. His kingdom comes on the scene and immediately his good purposes, his light shining comes into contact with evil and darkness. And the light overcomes the darkness like that. Come out of him. Be gone. And it's interesting that the darkness actually knows who Jesus is as the Holy One of God. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Believe in the gospel, the good news that light is here, that righteousness is here, that goodness is here, and that the darkness will not overcome it. It's interesting. Oftentimes we can breeze right by this word gospel. But in fact, gospel as a whole approach to religion or to the, your way of life is incredibly unique. This week, um, our family was a little bit run down due to some lack of sleep. And um, I, I remember coming down one morning and having an argument with my wife. And we're talking about something going on. And I'm telling her, no, you need, just need to do this. Can we, can we just switch and change and do this? And she, at one point in the conversation, she said, hey, listen, I hear what you're saying, but you realize you're only telling me all the stuff that I need to change or do different. And in that moment, I realized I had done everything but model the gospel to her. I had come well-intentioned, offering good advice. But what had I not done? I had not brought good news. I had, I had come with a critique or with a confrontation. I had not come with comfort. That old word that means to bring strength right? To, to comfort. So it's the, this, the distinction between what is good advice and what is good news is an incredibly important one because almost every other religious system or philosophy and way of life functions on good advice. I see you and how you're living. Let me offer you some ways to be better. I hear what's going on. You know, if you could just improve in this area, things would pan out. All of our approaches to life 
and even to spirituality, run on good advice except for Jesus' message. Jesus comes saying there's good news that the kingdom is here. And this kingdom is actually the announcement of a victory that you see playing out repeatedly in this chapter because Jesus wins against these evil forces. Case closed. Battle done. They're gone. The announcement of Jesus is good news to be received of what he's done. Nobody in this chapter does anything to make themselves better. Jesus comes announcing to them incredible news of the kingdom. Let me show you more of it here. He commands unclean spirits, they said, and they obey him. And his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding cities. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening they brought to him all who were sick or who were oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and, they healed many, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Here you have not only one who shows up onto the scene and who finds these humble fishermen and offers them to become something new, but you have someone who comes onto the scene with all authority and victory, bringing a satisfying new life. But Jesus is saying to these, these fishermen, hey, I can make you new. I can make you into fishers of men. Not you can become fishers of men. I can make you into fishers of men. Follow me. And then he comes on and he says, hey, get out of here, unclean spirit. And then he goes to even physical illness. And he says, get up. Get up, Peter's mother. It's time for you to serve. Time for you to serve. You see the one who satisfies people with his victory and authority. It's an odd thing for us because we often bristle at authority. But Jesus shows up on the scene with all authority and people are satisfied. It's perhaps the thing in your life that's out of sync that you have not received the authority of Jesus and so you don't have the satisfaction that his power and victory brings. Authority, power, victory brings about life and flourishing for the people that Jesus meets. But we in our world want to reject his authority. We want to limit his presence. And we want to say, hey, don't touch that area of my life. But Jesus, by his authority and victory, brings blessing. If we would receive it as good news. Not only do they find the one who satisfies them with his authority, they find the one who serves because he was sent to. Look at this. After an incredible evening, probably a tiring evening, long into the night, ministry, prayer, rebuking of evil spirits, Jesus gets up at the crack of dawn. 
And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to them, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's interesting that as the crowds swell in size, as his fame seems to grow, as every sort of temptation could be towards becoming a great persona, Jesus chooses a private life of prayer and then says, the good news needs to keep going. How fascinating. How easy would it have been for him just to set up shop? That's right, let's go. Come on, crowds will come. Everybody's hearing. Let's stay in one place. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to listen to what the Father has for me. And rather than doing something that could in some ways serve me and making me great, I'm going to go at the request of my Father to serve others. Rather than staying here so that all might come, I'm going to go so that all might hear. Jesus is the one who is so in tune with the very heart and nature of God that he rejects fame, rejects significance in a social setting in order to serve, to continue to spread the good news of his kingdom. This is astonishing. And one of the beautiful aspects of Jesus that you see consistently through this gospel is that he is one who was sent to serve. Not just one who is sent with authority to lord over. One who has come to serve. Listen, if you look at Jesus here, there's good news everywhere. You see him as, as the one who can make you new. You see him as the one who satisfies people. You see him as the one who serves at the request of his father for the good of others. But I wonder, what about Jesus on the scene here? is good news to you? What about his presence and power makes your heart come alive this afternoon? Is it that you've been longing for a new direction in life and now enter Jesus? Is it that you have been looking for satisfaction? Enter Jesus. Is it that you feel without a guide and need some authority? Enter Jesus. Family, once you find especially one like this, you can't help but follow. Leave, find, follow. Once you find, you can't help but follow. Another way to say it would be the Christian faith always leads to a life that follows Jesus. And where you have Christian faith or the agreement with Jesus or with the Bible that doesn't lead to a life that's following Jesus, something is out of sync. Because the person of Jesus is so compelling that the heart, when we find him, we want to follow him. Consider the pattern of those who meet Jesus in this first chapter. I mean, you have the fishermen. Jesus comes up to them. He says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what they do? Immediately, it says in verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. And then again, to these other fishermen, Jesus shows up. And what happens? Immediately, he called them. 
And they left their family, and they followed him. And then it doesn't stop there. You see the same two word plays when Jesus shows up to Peter's house and meets his mom. The fever leaves her, and she rises to serve him. Do you get the, get the pattern? When Jesus shows up and people find him, they leave and then begin to follow. The effect is drastic. You see it even in the language in this pattern. Immediately, 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 like Jesus, man of action, shows up and people become people of action, following him. Now listen, there's a challenge to this. Like you realize none of these people knew the rest of the story. This is chapter 1. James and John didn't know chapter 8 or 10 or 15. He shows up to them, and they have no clue what the path ahead could hold. But they do know that the person of Jesus is the one whom they were made to follow. They, Jesus shows up, inviting them to follow him as king in all of life. And his greatness on display, his goodness on display here compels them to continue to follow even though they have no clue exactly where he's going to go or what it's going to mean for them. I wonder if you've been there. Perhaps the reason you haven't jumped in to follow Jesus is because you go, I don't know what that's going to mean for my life. I can't see how that's going to change this relationship or change my career path or change the way that I engage with my family or change the way I make decisions about my sexuality. I, I can't see what Jesus is going to ask of me. But his greatness and his goodness compel you to follow him. Consider how they follow him just in this first chapter. Right? They follow him through sickness and into health. They follow him evening and morning. They follow him daytime and nighttime. They follow him through spiritual darkness into spiritual light. They follow him through cities and through wilderness. They follow him through changes in profession. They follow him from town to town. They follow him into the very heart of God. This incredibly loving, sacrificial, joyful, dance that we saw at the baptism of Jesus just a few verses earlier. What is Jesus asking you to follow him through right now? And will you trust him even though you don't know the end of the journey? To leave, to find, to follow is the pattern of the Christian life. And what you see from Mark's gospel is that Jesus is the one who's taken the lead in setting this pattern. In fact, he still leads you today. Jesus is the one who models this even for those of us who are resistant to it, to those of us who are struggling with it. Jesus is the one you see who left heaven, his home, and came here. Jesus is the one 
right, who came to find. He's the one who found in his father everything all satisfying that he could need, even living amidst a broken world. And Jesus is the one who followed, even though he didn't even know the end of the story. Look at the way he follows all the way, the father's will to the cross, as you read through the end of the gospel. Even there, the same language is picked up in Mark 14, verse 50, where it says that all of the disciples left him. But Jesus didn't leave the will of the Father. He stayed in his will, finding in the Father all he needed, following him through to the cross, through into death, and into a resurrected life so that good news of victory might be spread, not just in the first century, but in the 21st. Jesus is here, advancing his kingdom against all the obstacles we may see. And he's inviting you to leave, to find, and to follow him. Let's pray. Father, my heart's full. Just reading through these first stories of Jesus on the scene. And I pray that as we consider you, the one who can make us new, you, the one who has all victory and authority, you, the one who's come to serve, that you would warm our hearts such that whatever we're clinging to, we might be able to leave. Whatever we're looking for, we might find. And that our lives would continue to follow you. I know some people hear the call and response of the gospel this morning as they hear, this afternoon, as they hear the music. God's calling them to repentance. So would you give grace so that people could turn away from sin, turn away from idols, turn toward you, the true and living God? I love that, that phrase in there where the leper comes and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Somebody here this morning, this afternoon, whoever's listening, whenever they're listening, they need to hear you saying, I will, I desire. I can make you clean. With that good news of the one with the authority to cleanse, to heal, to mend, be a blessing to us today. God, help us. Help us to respond to this word by finding our joy in you and following you in all of life. Amen.